So oh. tell me your exciting news. You know Kevin DeShazo? No. Is this going to be less exciting now? <laughs> I think you do. I think you do. I think you actually follow him on um, oh. on Twitter. Okay. okay. So um, no, it's it, it's not. You'll you'll still find it equally okay. as exciting. So I started following him a long time ago on social media. He really talks a lot about leadership and showing up the right way every day and, and a lot of things that I've kind of like started to hang my hat on in terms of principles that I, I really believe in. He's been kind of like the founding father for me of that kind of thought process. And um, he wrote a book a couple, of, a couple of years ago that I bought called, called Keep Chopping Wood. And it's kind of become like a little bit of a Bible for me. And I've kind of passed it on to people in my office. And at any rate, you know, I'm president of NICEPR now, and uh, I reached out to him about a week ago and asked him if uh, he would consider being our keynote speaker for our conference in March, and he said yes. That so is so cool. I knew coming into this, because it's it's our responsibility to kind of put this conference together once a year, and I was like, that's my goal. And in my presidency, I want to get this guy, and it sounds like it's going to work out, so hopefully it... uh. It comes to pass, but um. Oh, I'm keeping my fingers like, crossed. That's yeah. that's so exciting. Yeah, it was really cool. It was really really cool. His framework is is really about keep chopping wood. Is 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 kind of a a metaphor for like showing up every day. And he uses the example of chopping wood as like you know you can't just go outside and and chop wood and throw it in the fireplace and then immediately get like this roaring great fire. He's like, cause if the wood is wet, it's going to smoke. It could be, you know, he goes, so the idea behind chopping wood is every day you go out and you chop and you chop and you chop and you chop. So long term, you have what you need to like be warm or set a fire. Like he uses that analogy and, and, um, I don't know. It's not the analogy that clicked. The book is great, but like, you know, a lot of the things that he says as it, as it pertains to leadership about mindset and, you know, he works a lot with NCAA and professional sporting sports team programs. So he does a lot of traveling and I didn't know if this was going to be really a match. See how things kind of go as we get further into the details, but it was really good. It was a really good turn of events. I was just really kind of happy about that. So I'm also excited for you that you're going to get to deepen your relationship with him. I think regardless of whether or not this ends up panning out. Also excited somewhat selfishly to hear a story about you asking for something that is like a little outside your comfort zone and it working out. I, I need to be encouraged by those stories right now because I'm doing a lot of that. So, uh, you know me, I'm not one to like, I mean, I'll, I'll try things, but it's like, I wasn't sure, you know, if it was going to land and I, in my mind, like we usually start planning this thing around like the fall. So to kind of have this locked in is, is, or soon to be locked in is cool. So yeah, I'm, I'm I, not to, not to say that I wasn't expecting a yes or a no, but after you sent it like a week after you sent it and you're not hearing anything, you're like, all right, maybe he just read it and was like, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't do these things, but mm -hmm. I was happy when it came with a yes. So. That's really exciting. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Steve. And this is a podcast for creatives. Two friends talking about the complex, messy, and beautiful experience that is being a creative. So we talk a lot about the creative process on this podcast. And uh, I think I think that that process, the creative process, is, is one of the more unique and special things to a creative because it's true to you. It's how you arrive at you know, the conclusion of your work. It's how you arrive at the beginning of your work. It's how you kind of are inspired. There's so many unique things that kind of go into that that process that 
everyone's is different and everyone's is special. And one of the things that you and I had been talking about recently, just in some text conversations, um, and, and it was actually uh, kind of brought about by uh, a tweet that I saw by Wes Cow. And, and I, I apologize because I might be saying that last name wrong. And um, I don't mean to offend anybody with that. But um, the tweet said, um, you know, the old way was learn, 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 then do. And the new way is learn, then do, then learn, then do, then learn, then do. And I had sent it to you and it kind of just got us back and forth on this, this revelation that like where, where you might be in that type of a process versus where I might be in that type of a process. And we thought it'd be kind of cool to talk about that, that learning process a little bit, because just like the creative process, how we learn and then execute it does become a part of that creative process, but really it's, it's kind of our, our, it's, it's, it's how we embrace and how we learn new things and how we then kind of master them and bring them into the fold. I definitely texted you back. Yes. Before the text even made it to me, I had my answer. Yes. Back to you <laughs> out of a because it was just something that is speaking to me so much at this point in my creative career and process. And I'm excited to talk about all the ways that I should have been doing this for a long time and you know, not, not to jump to what I hope the conclusion of this will be, but I hope that we can encourage our listeners by the end of this episode, if they do identify as being more of a learn, 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 go, jump, execute type person, that they might be open to changing that. Yeah. And I think that's part of like how we get into things initially, because there's there's hesitations about not seeming like, you know, what you're talking about or not seeming like, you know, what you're doing. So we kind of bury ourselves in this in this learning process. And one of the things that that Wes talked about in 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 a blog that sort of accompanied this this tweet was her typical plan when she's setting out to do something uh, new used to be learn, 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 and then eventually do it. And she realized that a lot of it was really kind of overkill to prepare so much for certain things. And in many ways, it's, 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 it's hiding yourself from actually taking an action. And I think there's something true to that, especially when it's something new or when it's, when it's creative, because we're all sort of, you know, we talk about this on the podcast a lot. Sometimes we're a little bit, you know, shy about putting ourselves out there in such a open way and something where, you know, your work and, and anything that you've created is kind of ripe for, you know, people taking slings and arrows to it that w instead of opening ourselves up to that, we'd rather feel like we're trying to master whatever it is we're about to do. I find myself, though, when I have been caught in that trap, of trying to learn so much about something. And I really, I honestly think about, you know, getting into, um, you know, podcasting. Like well, if you look at the initial form that the pod podcast for creatives took a lot of what we were doing early on was like, you know, generic graphics with inspirational things that we were saying or thinking or things that we might've written in the past. And that just came from looking at what other people were doing who were podcasting or who were successful, you know, entrepreneurs or people who are working in creative industries and saying, well, they're doing that. And I've been learning about this for so long. So let's do that. I find that when I put myself in that spot, I end up sounding more like somebody else than I actually do myself. 
Yeah, we you can definitely see an evolution if you scroll all the way back in our Instagram feed. It looks quite different in the beginning. It's a lot of stock images and like you said, quotes of like things that we said in the past <laughs> that we had published that we thought were really smart. I remember but... <laughs> I remember one of these like sparklers. There was one there was one image with a hand with like a Fourth of July sparkler on it. And it was like, I know the one. There might, yeah, there might have been a word like in the copy that was like magical. And we were just like, well, what signifies magic? And like <laughs> we went with we went with the sparkler. So, yeah. There was some there was some polls back then. We thought we were so clever. But it, it it didn't I mean, we had to put those out there to get to where we are now. I'm not saying that we've arrived. If we go back to episodes, you know, it's a journey, it's not about the destination. But we, you can see our evolution from um, stock images and, you know, things that we said. I'm not saying that, that the quotes that we used weren't ours and weren't meaningful, but it, I think if you and I are being real, I think a lot of those were like things that we said, but we were trying to sound like other people that we admired. And as we evolved from that, we switched over to, you know, still graphics. Um, we got some pictures of ourselves in there and we felt more comfortable because then we, I think once we started showing us and our faces, then, then that made us speak in a, in a more real way. And then obviously, because we were actually doing the work, we were doing the podcasting that evolved into having video clips and those you can't fake. I think that's why people find those to be the most relatable. That's why Instagram is uh, favoring you know, reels and, and video based content is because that is the most genuine thing you can do. And I realized, you know, you can add filters and you can do things to enhance and make it less genuine. But I feel like that's a great example of us doing and learning in that back and forth manner versus just, I mean, we could have just stayed in that state where we were posting stock photos and quotes that sort of sounded smart. Yeah. And I think in this case, it did sort of sounded smart. <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> I think in this case, like, you know, we were the learn, you know, the, the learn, then do, then learn, then do. I think mindset is easier when you've built something up, like there's some equity in the bank and, you know, you have that ability to kind of, or that, that luxury to learn and then adjust and then learn more from that and then adjust when it's so new. I think it's really hard to to take that first step because for whatever reason, you know, putting yourself out there in a raw way can that that's a that's a really tough step for a lot of people, my, myself included. You've kind of gone down this path recently with 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 the book and and I'm wondering like because you've been so diligently working at this project, like have you found yourself going from you know, learn, 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 then do, or did you feel like the best way for you to do this the right way was to kind of learn a little bit more about yourself and the process as you went? Has it been a hybrid of the two? What was, what was your take? Cause this is really kind of an in the moment thing here. It is in, in more ways than one with the book and, and with some other things that I'll share. But in regards to the book, I mean, my hand was kind of forced the, you know, the doing and learning uh, together because 
I thought that my book was done and ready to go. And in a way, I guess that you can look at that and say, oh, that's great because she she took action and you know not every action is going to promise success and in my case it did not i put the book out there i didn't hear anything back i realized that i had some big red flags that i needed to fix and you know then it was back to learning i mean i truly feel like this these last 4 months in in rewriting my book feels equal to the year it took me to write. I'm calling it the first draft. There there was more than one draft by the time I was pitching it for the first time. But I think that period of time was shorter because I had done it, because I had done that, you know, learning and then I did something and that doing made me learn more. And then the next learning period like I said, was more effective. And now I'm back to doing, now I'm back to um, to pitching again. And this process, I can't imagine, I mean, the alternative would be to just keep writing my book until the end of time, until I felt like I was ready. And does anyone ever feel like they're ready when they're doing something for the first time? Right, like, I, I guess that's where I'm coming from. Like, is it, do you feel like it's more of a perfectionist thing? Not, not, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about people who, who, who would feel this way. Are, are, are we victims of being perfectionists or is it that we're not risk takers? Because I look at you and I go, you're not, not a risk taker. And <laughs> like, it, like you are a risk taker. Like I think you are calculated, but you're not somebody who just sits back and, and, and waits for things. So it, it you know, where, where is it on that spectrum? As someone who, I, I don't know that I would ever call myself like a total perfectionist. I, I definitely have friends and people in my life who have qualities that I can see like they they care more than I do. Yeah. <laughs> but I think the more you identify with being a, being a perfectionist, the more of a risk it's going to feel like to you. So I feel like it, it you know, it depends on how you are as a person and how you perceive it based on your past experiences. This particular project doesn't feel super risky to me because obviously I've made it public, but for most writers, I think it's a very private thing. You know, I didn't need to tell anyone that I was doing this. Your fault. Um, <laughs> if this thing wins a, a whatever, what do they win? Peabody's? I have no idea. Whatever, if it wins something. You can come back and thank me later. Yeah, Newberry we'll is it a Newberry Award? What it's it's, it's something. Pulitzer, Pulitzer, Pulitzer. Oh yeah, Pulitzer. Yeah. It's a Pulitzer. When's a Pulitzer? Okay, Peabody. I'll be sure to do that. <laughs> I think Peabody is something. Yeah, is that a thing? I don't Peabody know what, but yeah, find that. Obviously, out. I'm not doing this to win any Put awards. Put that in your learn do cycle. <laughs> learn what it's about, and then tell me about it. I'll get back to you. <laughs> so we started something new. I'm usually going to you with ideas. So I think I was so excited that I barely listened to what you said and I was like, you know what? Sure, let's do it. Could have said anything <laughs> right there at that point in time, couldn't I? Michelle and I grew up in the 90s and we've noticed, I think over the years, that a lot of the uh, references that we end up dropping in our podcast end up coming from that period in our childhood. We were a TV generation, so 
we remember a lot of these offbeat commercials and a lot of these things that um, were a part of our childhood. And I thought it would be fun to kind of like look back at them. We don't really watch commercials anymore in, in this day and age. You know, ads are usually something that we're doing anything that we could possibly do to skip over. Funny commercials or, or commercials with memorable jingles have stayed with us over the years. Uh, and this platform, this this commercial breakdown show gave us the opportunity to bring some of them back and, you know, relive a few of these moments with, with all of you and, you know, reflect fondly on them. So if you get a chance, go into one of our pod for creative social profiles or go to our website and look for commercial breakdown which is the name of our show i time this it takes literally four seconds of your time subscribe to our youtube channel and hit that thumbs up button if you have a friend or a sibling or someone um, that you remember talking to about the commercials that that we're showcasing certainly anywhere where you can share it we would really appreciate it you can make this process of writing and publishing a book completely private i mean to the point where people write under pen names and i think that they do that so that they don't have to face haters i mean i know that people do it for reasons other than that but i think that that's a really easy way to um like not have to face any kind of criticism, um, public backlash uh, against you know the content or your ideas. But for me, even though I have spoken about it publicly, I don't feel like this is something that like my career is riding on. And there's not a lot at stake. This really feels you know similar to like the um, the podcast and like commercial breakdown. Like it, this is a a passion project that you know has potential to earn money or to lead to other things but I'm not putting like all my eggs in one basket right I think sometimes too like going back to the perfectionist piece like everybody seems to want this you know or think that you can't put something out there until it's polished and we say that but we all admit that we like things that are unpolished we like things that are raw we like things that are honest and human and it's almost like when you're in this position of creating, you forget that. And, and because your name is attached to it, right. Or your, your, you know, your ego is attached to it or, and I think sometimes that's really hard for, for people because we never want to release something that isn't the best representation of what we could possibly create. Meanwhile, whether it's art or music, you know, I, I, we, we're both Billy Joel fans. And I mean, how many times have you heard Billy? I mean, I, I can count on one hand, maybe how many songs he or, you know, that he would say that are like, yeah, that's perfect. Or that's that, you know, like there's yeah, always like something none. wrong with yeah. something. And and I think that's like, it's weird to hear because they're all perfect to us, but they're perfect to us because they're not polished. There's there's rawness to it. So, you know, it's it's almost like in this in this process, as you're sort of learning your craft or learning this 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 skill that's going to help you to you know apply to something, you almost have to be understanding that learning something doesn't mean that you become a perfect executor of it. And and if you can admit that to yourself, and and feel comfortable with that, I think you're going to probably end up producing some really good stuff that's going to resonate with somebody. You hit the nail on the head with with ego 
your ego is definitely your enemy, which is also the name of a book everyone should read by Ryan Holiday, Ego is the Enemy. When it comes to putting your work out there and doing the do the do part um, and stepping away from the learn part, because like you said, I don't think any of us are ever going to say, this is perfect, this is the best piece of whatever art that I ever created. I mean, I think this actually comes out a lot once someone compliments you for something, even if you're proud of the thing. My instinct is to always return that compliment with a, yeah, but we should have done this, or like, yeah, this needs to be tweaked. So that's kind of like, and maybe that's, that is my ego, like, you know, fighting back to say, you know, I, I, I can be more perfect or to let that person know that if they are saying something, even if they're saying something nice, I think deep down, I know that like they're taking notice of something that I was involved with. And therefore there's, if they notice something good, they could also notice something bad. So that's going to happen no matter what. And every artist, every creator has to deal with that. And when I say deal with it, like you can just ignore it if you don't want to, you know, put yourself through emotional strife. But I think it is a loss for all of us uh, consumers to not put that work, even that imperfect work out there. Like imagine, Steve, if Billy Joel held back all of those songs we and oh, we no. and we knew about it or right. or if he just decided like now that we, you know we're in love with them he's he decided you know what like after listening back to all of these and doing my stint on Sirius XM and talking about it I realized these are all trash no one can ever listen to these again we will be heartbroken that would yeah. ruin my life yeah but so like think I know that it's hard for us to put ourselves in that position of someone who's like a known accomplished artist, but I don't think that you realize the impact and the ripple effect that the work that you create and produce can have on other people. Even if it's like one moment for one person, what that could lead to in their life and so on and so on and so on. I remember when I first became uh, in, in uh, upper management on our, on our communications team. And I had to have a conversation with, um, a staff member who, um, uh, was having some issues kind of getting to, to certain projects, um, and balancing time. And it was causing some issues with deadlines. And my supervisor at the time was telling me, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta say this, you gotta say this, you gotta make sure, you know, this person knows this and knows, you know, and, being so young and so new, I'm listening to what my supervisor was saying and, and saying, okay, I got to say this, I got to say that, I got to say this, I got to say that. So I called this person on my team up and I said, hey, let's, you know, I know you're coming into the office this week, let's go grab lunch. And okay. So we go to lunch and we sit down and I'm sitting in the chair across from him and I'm saying to myself, okay, I got to say this, I got to say that, I got to say this, I got to say that, I got to, okay. I never thought about how to approach the conversation with the person. I just was thinking of the things that I had to say to him. So immediately I didn't even have a way to like, like start the conversation. And he knew that like something wasn't right. <laughs> 
because <laughs> I was just kind of puppet like, regime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Morty Seinfeld over here. Um, so I'm like, I must have started the sentence like two or three different ways. And finally he was just like, would you just come out and say whatever it is you have to say? And it was like the biggest, probably still to this day, it's the most important lesson that I've learned because I can't build a relationship with someone I'm working with if I'm trying to sound and say things like somebody else would say them. And it was such a eye opener to me to be like, I was trying to learn what everyone else was doing that I wasn't worried. I, I wasn't being me and I wasn't carving out my own role and my own, you know, mark with, with my team. And since then, I think not only do I prioritize relationships with people, but when I need to say something to them, it's not an awkward thing because we already have a base. We already have that foundation that they know it's coming from a place of support and help and guidance and, uh, camaraderie. And, uh, you know, I often look back on that, that original moment as kind of like as early as I was like a pivot point for me. Yeah. You're really lucky that that person said that to you. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm hopeful that someone would have said it eventually, but what I'm hearing in your story is something that I also experienced. I first learned this lesson about four years ago when I launched my first course, Create with Confidence, and I used a launching method called Monetize Before You Make It. And this is something that I learned as a result of going through um, a program called Business by Design. And when I first heard of this concept, I, along with many other members of this program, felt like this was the worst idea of all time. And it basically has you put the message out there that you were about to launch this program and ask people to sign up before you've created the content. So I hear that as a content creator and I think, how could I possibly articulate and speak confidently about what these students are going to get to experience if it's not even made yet. And here is where the switch happens. And what made me a believer in this method is that I, I was doing it in service of those students. First of all, it would have been a complete waste of my time if I had spent, you know, months creating content based on what I thought the people wanted and then have it fall on deaf ears. Obviously, that would be bad for me, that would be bad for business, but it's the part that really stuck with me is that that is not being in service to the students. And the reason that Monetize Before You Make It works is because once you have a group of interested students who are willing to commit to working with you, you can create that content based on their specific wants and needs. It's not about what you want to create. It's not what you think people want. Like let people tell you directly, this is how you can help me. And then having the confidence to know that I will be able to deliver that for them. And I felt like after I did that once, I thought I don't feel like I should ever launch anything in any other way again. Right, because if you had learned that the first time, like if your research had told you to do that, would you have been as confident to go with that method or would it have just been another voice saying, 
do this, do that, and kind of leaving in a position where you didn't know whether or not you should jump. I was really uncomfortable with the idea when I was thinking about it from the ego perspective. I was thinking all about, I can't launch this thing because I don't have the confidence in myself, which is you know, ironic because I was teaching a course on confidence, but <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like an ice cream man. Cone. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was thinking that, you know, I'm going to look bad if I go out there and tell people that I'm trying to sell this thing that hasn't even been made yet. But it wasn't until I had that change in perspective and put myself in service of the students that it made sense to me. And I wish I could think of some other examples off the top of my head but I want to, now that I'm talking about this, want to harness that concept and see where I can apply that into other areas of my business. And it doesn't have to be just about like launching a course. It can be about doing anything, starting any new project, taking your ego out of it and shifting your focus and attention in service of your audience. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, to that point, one of the things that Wes talks about in, in that blog, which, by the way, is is in the show notes if anyone wants to read it, um, is the sense of empowerment that sort of comes from picking up a, you know, picking up something new in, in your learning process and then having that in your toolkit. Um, that's a really good feeling because you do feel like as you start to turn around that you are laying tracks and in my example before about talking to my, my, my colleague, like I knew the next conversation I was going to have with somebody, I was going to approach it from a standpoint of feeling much more confident and empowered to, to be in that spot. I didn't feel like I belonged there in that original conversation. And now I did. And it doesn't mean because I have this career of leadership that a lot, I mean, I was only doing it for about a year at that point in time, maybe less than that. But I had the approach down and therefore I felt like I belonged. And, and I think that's a really special feeling for somebody in creative when you can, and, and not that leadership is creative necessarily, but like you really feel like you have something that you can take with you and it now becomes a part of you. It's really incredible that we don't do more things like this, that we don't do more of the doing because every time we get brave enough to do it. It's not just a confidence booster and saying, okay, I did this scary thing and I survived. But when it works out, it puts you so much further ahead. This is something that I've been really, I hope, hopefully my audience has been hearing this because it's something that I've been working on myself in realizing that our time is really so limited. I mean, <laughs> I always feel funny talking about this because I work for myself, I work from home, and I don't have kids. So on paper, I have more time than anyone else. But it's it is. But <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you that I feel strapped for time all the time. That it's mm -hmm. it's a current it's like a constant stressor for me that there's never enough time to do all of the things that I want to do. You know, I, I have, you know, laundry sitting in the dryer and like, I, you know, I feel like I'm always like perpetually behind on, on certain home tasks and, and work tasks. 
and you know, may, maybe you'll be annoyed with me or maybe that'll, that'll be freeing for you and realizing that like, there is no perfect, like, you know, when X happens, when my kids grow up or when I start working from, from home or when I go back to the office, whatever it is, then I'll have time to do whatever. Cause all of that is lies. So all of this to say regarding time management is with our limited amount of time, we have to be really smart about how we use it. And for so many years, I spent that precious time in that learn phase. And the the learning pool is the safe place to play. It's the place where you're going to do the things that you're comfortable doing. It's the place where you're going to be constantly making revisions and spinning your wheels and be able to say like, oh, but I don't have time to do anything. There's a reason that that that's the case, that you don't have time to do anything. So where I've been trying to focus my energy is on tasks and activities that are quick escalators. And often those kind of tasks aren't things that actually take that much time. And I just um, recently shared an Instagram post about this that we'll share in the, in the show notes it's often as simple as sending an email. And, you know, even if you're a poor writer or you struggle with writing, how long could it possibly take to write an email? But yet, those are the things when you ask for something, you ask to connect with someone, or like for me, like pitching my book, asking for someone to, to represent my, uh, my book writing uh, part of my career. Those are the things that kind of put you on the fast track and it doesn't take a lot of time but it takes a lot of guts to do the thing it never feels like anything is the be-all end-all in in creative what i mean by that is if if you shoot your shot and you miss it, it never ends up being the end of the world you just shoot again and I think the message um, that, you know, Wes talks about and, and that we've been kind of discussing about here is, you know, it always turns out to be OK. So, you know, if, if you're hesitant about taking the jump because you want it to be perfect, there's a good chance that even if you do all the research and you shoot your shot, you're still going to probably miss somewhat. But that's OK, because just the missing is going to teach you so much more about the next time you're going to take that shot and then the next time and then the next time, whatever that project is, whatever that initiative is. So to me, the kind of message is like, it's always going to be okay. No matter what happens, it, it, it you know, it, it's all going to turn out fine, but you won't know that until you actually do it. So try not to be so hard on yourself and, and, and put yourself through this waiting game when you can kind of be taking actionable steps to accomplish something. Plus there's a silver lining of that you get to keep creating. I don't know if we're going to include this in the episode or not, but before we started recording, I was telling Steve about pitching my book and how I just, I have this sense of peace about it. And it's not because I'm so confident that it's going to work out the way that I think that it's going to work out, but that, it, through this process, I have decided that I want to write more books. And again, like who knows if maybe none of these will ever get published, but I'm enjoying the process of writing so much 
that to me is more exciting than any result that's going to come out of the publishing process. So whatever that is for you, don't forget that like in all of this that you get to keep being creative and you get to keep making stuff. If you've enjoyed this episode, help us spread the word on social media. Tag us at pod for creatives and let us know what stood out to you. The darker the lighting, the better today for me. So <laughs> do you yeah. feel uh, drained too? I feel like whenever I get that kind of sunburn, I'm just, like it, your tiredness kind of like really hits you hard. I feel okay. I actually feel I, I just feel like it looks worse than it actually is. Like I don't it doesn't hurt or you know, my neck isn't on fire. I've had those in the past. Like it's, it's just, you know, it'll look a little funny for a couple of days and then that'll be that. So we really should have recorded a commercial breakdown. We could have like made this look intentional. Kool-Aid man. Yeah. Like something. Yeah. <laughs> Special edition. Steve dresses up this time. <laughs> what would the fans say? Give They're the, so accustomed to you doing give it. Give the audience what they want. Oh, they'd they would. Revolt if I did are it. you kidding? They would be thrilled. No, I think that would be the end of commercial breakdown <laughs> if I if I did it. What does this guy think he's doing?